everybody, welcome to episode 113 of Literary Disco, Poets Part 2. Today we continue our journey into the intimidating, terrifying world of poetry with a special spoken word episode. So some months back, we asked our listeners to recommend poetry, and a few of you gave us the names or sent us links to some live poetry. And today, we are going to talk about three poems, all of which will be linked to on our page, performed by Kate Tempest, Safia El Hilo, and Hanif Willis Abdurraqib. I am actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong. Joining me, as always, are essayist and radio personality Julia Pistel and novelist and critic Todd Goldberg. Hi! Hey. And we're hey. also joined by Julia's baby boy. That's, okay, I want everyone to know that this baby is girl. Todd continuing to <laughs> baby. attempt to get me to say things that I'm not going to say. But eventually, dear listeners, you will know. Will they? Will you go on a speaking tour with your infant? Uh, no. In fact, you're right. It's none of my business. I'll never tell anyone, including you. Is that what you oh. want, Todd? <laughs> have you have you determined a social media policy for your kid? Do you know? Are you gonna? Are you guys gonna post photos or? Uh, no, we have not discussed that. We've we're more. Oh, better yeah, better discuss something. because otherwise the grandparents go yep. crazy, friends go crazy. Yeah, I'm gonna need some pictures. I don't Look, here's think... the deal, Julia. Yeah. Uh, we're getting a new puppy uh, uh-huh. in a week, and I I'm saw. willing to share with you um, the puppy's name, uh-huh. um, the puppy's sex, and pictures at any given time. Okay, well, that's really cute. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you guys are understanding my level of preparation for anything in my life, including this <laughs> child. Like... What do you mean? Do you guys have like a room set uh, up? The yet? room or? is full of literal trash, and I think wow. a bird. <laughs> Babies love trash. You're fine. Yeah. I think a bird might have gotten in oh, at one Jesus point. Christ! Oh, God. Uh, you guys, I'm just, I'm just not going to be one of those people who has everything ready at any time. It's, and you know what? I'm oh, okay you millennials. Cut what? To, That's not a millennial thing. That's cut just to Juliet organized living. What are you just gonna task rabbit your motherhood? <laughs> are you just gonna? Are you gonna give birth to the baby and just ride an Uber home from the hospital? And wow. Go online and see if we can get a wet nurse to come by. Why don't I just have the guy who lives in L.A. make these judgments no. while I, I walk say. to Hartford Hospital? <laughs> to have my kid. I think that was the first instance of the term wet nurse on 113 <laughs> episodes of Literary Disco, including the infamous missing episodes in the 113. <laughs> uh, wet nurse is a disturbing. Oh, but what an amazing role in women's history. Like, can you believe women did that for each other? That's one incredible yeah, thing. pretty awesome. I can't believe it. People, I think, are filled with empathy and filled with goodness when it relates to each other. Uh, except when they do horrible things in the name of uh, religion or politics. Okay, great. Um, so uh, <laughs> let's talk about some literature. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we've got these three spoken word poets, um, which 
is great because we can actually uh, listen to them on the show, and uh, we encourage our not our listeners to not only listen to this episode, but you can go watch the videos. Um, and one of them has pretty terrible yes. sound, unfortunately, but uh, you can still hear. And the, the text is online as well. I guess all which that matters. We'll link to. Yeah. And the, um, but I also, you know, I feel like it's. I'm glad that we're doing this, uh, that we're getting some spoken word poetry, because I feel like on the Todd Goldberg mm. spectrum of disdain for poetry, uh, <laughs> I, I feel like spoken word is just like the the that's about as extreme as it gets for Todd, right? Yes. This is where the poet voice comes mm-hmm. from. Well, right. we're going into the belly. So here's of the a couple <laughs> things that I think now. When I when spoken word is done exceptionally well, and I'm thinking of someone like uh, the spoken word poet Rachel Kahn, for instance, it is a transcendent experience where you feel like you are part of something larger than yourself. When it is done poorly, like every single person who got up and did it at um, Common Grounds, which was the coffee house next to Cal State mm. Northridge, when I was an undergraduate student, right. and all of their spoken word poems went like this. Bush, Bush, George, Bush, burning, Bush, 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 George, Bush, burning, Bush, Bush. Right. And then I, you know, I, it, it became a thing where I had to be medicated um, and put into a home for a little while. So I think that, you know, my, uh, my bias against spoken word is a bias against spoken word that I experienced at a young age. When I've seen it done well subsequently, it's been great. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But, you know, if it's not done by a professional, man, the, the line between performance and, uh, and mm-hmm. self-aggrandizement is, is thin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, 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 you know, it's funny because I... I, I, when I was a teenager, I performed poetry and like, I used to love this kind of stuff. And then I completely fell out of it too. Like, I just don't, I don't have much interest in it. I don't, um, I don't seek it out. Um, but when I hear it, when I hear mm-hmm. good poetry or when I see it performed live, I, every time I'm like, why am I not listening to this all the time? Like, why don't I go out? And then I forget about it and I mm-hmm. never do it again. <laughs> like, and then, you know, a year or two goes by and then I see some live poetry. And again, I'm like, why am I not doing that? So it's a weird, it's, it's, it's an interesting form. Like it's somewhere, you know, it, it, it it's just never been mainstream. It's never been super successful. Uh, well, um, that's not, not that poetry I don't think ever that's true. I, mean, no, I don't that, think that's true at all. There's, there's an active touring um, experience for slam poetry, essentially. And yeah. particularly after mm-hmm. Saul Williams really popularized it in um, the late 1990s and the early 2000s, um, slam poetry, particularly on college campuses, is uh, a, a huge part of the artistic culture. So, and maybe I see it more often because I am a professor at university, but. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it never, it doesn't really escape those confines in oh, my mind. I mean, that's, so. The way that I experience a lot of slam poetry, and this is very interesting given what we're about to do, is in non-white communities. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. where in Hartford, spoken word and slam poetry is, I'm not going to say big, but it it comes up a lot more than you might think, but not in your like 
college campus Jack Kerouac wannabe right. way. Not at no, all. No, there's more of a hip-hop exactly tradition right. too, right? There's also a link to hip-hop. Exactly, right. and the performance is really the primary aspect, and secondary to that is, you know, I don't want to say secondary, but, like, the performance and the writing exists, like, together, and, you know, I think it's much bigger than we might perceive it mm -hmm. to be based I, on I did, where we're I did an event... Um, God, it was a couple years ago, I guess, in Seattle, and uh, the poet Jamal um, Jamal May was performing, and man, he got up and he blew the roof off this building that we were in. And you know, he's he's a, a written poet, but also obviously a, a performative poet. And there wasn't there wasn't a single person that was in this um, reading, and it was a big group that wasn't extraordinarily moved by him, but he, he you know, I, I think when someone embodies their art so fully, like he did when I saw him, it's impossible not to feel something big is happening. And so when someone doesn't embody it, it, you know, it, it can feel a little, um, a little trite. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, I think there has to be that combination of great ability, great skill, and a message that needs to be heard. And I think in the things that we watched for the episode in all three cases there's there's a, a lot of that um mm -hmm. a lot of the good stuff mm -hmm. um so you know i i think it has a better opportunity to reach people of a young age than um than most written poetry despite the the 80 million copies of that hallmark poet we read <laughs> in the last episode that we talked yeah. about what was her name i can't remember her name rupee, rupee yeah. Or, or, yeah yeah yeah. Um, all right. So let's get into it. Um, okay. Should we go in order of what we watched? Yeah. 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 So first up is Kate Tempest and her poem, Tunnel Vision. Tunnel Vision. Tunnel Vision. Work drinks, heartbreak, can't face the past, the past a dark place. Can't sleep, can't wake, sitting in our boxes, notching up our victories as other people's losses. Another day, another chance to turn my face away from pain. Let's get a takeaway. I'll meet you in the pub a little later. We'll say the same things as ever. Life's a waiting game. When are we going to see that life is happening? And that every single body bleeding on its knees is an abomination. And that every natural being is making communication. That we are just sparks. Tiny little parts of a much bigger constellation. Minuscule molecules that make up one body the tragedy and pain of a person you have never even met is present in your nightmares and in your pull towards despair the sickness in this culture and the sickness in our hearts is a sickness that's inflicted by the distance that we share they were our bombs that started this war and now it rages at distance we can dismiss all its victims as strangers these are parents and children made dogs by our danger but existence is futile so we don't engage they were our boats that sailed killed stole and made frail they were our boots that stamped they were our courts that jailed they were our banks that got bailed and it was us who turned bleakly away look back down our nails 
goals and our wedding plans in the face of a full force gale we said it's not up to us to make this place a better land justice justice recompense humility trust is trust is something we will never see until love is unconditional the myth of the individual has left us disconnected lost and pitiful so i am out in the rain and it's a cold night in london and i am pleading with my loved ones to wake up and love more staring at a stranger on their sofa hoping one of you might hear it please do what you remember please wake up and love more So, Kate Tempest grew up in London, Southeast London. Um, she is a playwright and a poet, but then also um, she does a lot of music, too. I think uh, mostly, like, hip-hop-ish music. Um, very, you know, it's, like, somewhere between spoken word and and song. Um, and she won the Ted Hughes Award for her uh, work, Brand mm. New Ancients. Um, so, what'd you guys think? Hmm... I think, um, well, I think obviously it's pretty moving. And when you hear it, so if you're listening to the show, which obviously you people are, you got to really go watch it. Um, because in the video, she is surrounded by a full screen that's showing um, nature shots and imagery and, imagery, and whatnot. Yeah. Um, which makes it feel like essentially that you're walking through a film with her in, in a way. Um, this was of the three, my least favorite because not because of the content, but because of the pace of her hmm. reading. Um, yeah, because I, it, it ends up falling into that rhythm that I find, um, yep. less enjoyable to hear and gets closer to the sort of poet voice thing that I make fun of, um, totally. which makes it feel like it, it lacks, um, it lacks some originality, but then you read the actual text and it's, you know, it's really stunning work. Um, you know, she's, she's dealing with some deep existential things. You know, there's, there's the point at which she says carcinogenic, diabetic, asthmatic, epileptic, post-traumatic, bipolar, and disaffected, atomized thinking we're engaged when we're pacified, staring at the, at the screen so we don't have to see the planet die you know, where she's essentially cramming all of the world's culture into the fact that we are happy to have these diseases and these problems, uh, but we can't look beyond our own phones to see that the world is crumbling around us. So it's interesting to me that you're saying this because what you're saying you liked about the poem is exactly why it was Miley's favorite also. Mm -hmm. um, but first, first I'll say... I really enjoyed the musical uh, element to this, so it's certainly worth watching because there's an accompanist and it's it's really cool. Mm -hmm. It's really cool yeah. sounding. I think that helps too. I think that helps build like yeah atmosphere mm -hmm. and rhythm. Yeah, it helps. But um, I mean, yeah. Todd, Sorry. everything oh. you're saying, like, how is that different than the criticisms that we were lobbing at what's her name last time? I mean, it's so general and it's it's didactic you know it's saying like hey get off your phone mm -hmm. there's a world out there and i mean i i think there's a lot to say in comparison to one of the later performances we're gonna uh talk about mm -hmm. um but like spoken word it really covers or grounds 
cliches. I mean, like, if you look at the text, she has phrases like, existence is futile. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, the the last <laughs> line is, love more. Right. You which know, is not, I mean, that's not great. <laughs> that's not great. So right. it's, it is fascinating because as you're hearing it and you're listening, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But she's essentially begging you to agree with her. Right. There's, there's, it, there's right. like a desperation to it that is kind of the point and the drive and the idea behind this. But it doesn't make me feel, if you have any cynical bone in your body, there's a resistance there too, you know, of like, well, okay, <laughs> you know, like it says love is unconditional. I'm just looking at the text right now. It's very easy to like just grab little phrases that aren't as evocative as others, um, even within the own poem, right. her own poem. Right. But her performance is obviously very passionate and right. committed, which really sells it. It's like the, the only way to absorb this poem is in this way. Like if I read this, I wouldn't feel the way that you feel. I had the opposite experience of you, Todd. I was like, the only way for me to enjoy this is to hear it. Well, not when, to when I... It. Yep. <laughs> I, I think the only way for me to enjoy it is to see it. You know, when she says that hmm. line, this is in the first verse that she says that line. I'm like, that's exactly what you said, which is, yeah, I mean, because her her body language is powerful. She is in the moment and you can feel it. But it doesn't have the lasting effect of the the third one that we're going to talk about, uh, yeah. which I think is the best. Uh, mm -hmm. If we go in the order that I think we're going in. <laughs> um, but... I also think that, okay, if she's in a room with 19-year-olds that are listening to this and they are tripping uh, because the music's also making them, they're, they're clearly high when they're there. <laughs> they are all right. ecstasy. And they're, and they're rolling or whatever. Uh, they're, they're on the nitrous oxide or whatever kids are on these days. Um, that it's a, you know, you, you can understand how the entire experience would be a transcendent event and they would walk out and be like, yeah, we got to love more, man. We got to love more. It's all important. We're ruining the world. Will you text me that video? And then all the all the meaning of it is lost. Um, what what did you think, Ryder? Um, yeah, I, I I think you guys covered a lot of my feelings. I think that I actually really I what I appreciated at first. I I think her voice yeah. is very interesting. She mm -hmm. has this like crazy vibrato and this like I I haven't heard a poet with this particular like quality of her voice. Um, and I I do really like that and um. And there's something about the emotion, which on one hand I appreciate, it, like the emotion starts mm -hmm. to eclipse the mm -hmm. poem. And I think what's interesting is that I don't like that. I, it, it started to feel inauthentic mm -hmm. to me. Um, and which is interesting because I think in music, I like it when the emotion eclipses the, the actual ability to sing. Like I love singers that mm -hmm. are having a heart, you know, that where it's like this raw sort of, but something about this, uh, it's like I want the because it's a poem. I want the words to to have their own weight a little bit more and not be pushed on me so much and not be shouted and sort of um, codified into this like you're saying this predictable mm -hmm. rhythm of poet speak and and so I can't help but uh, like I think I think it's on one hand it's it's performing a service of intentionally going into that tradition. Like this is of, of the three poems we're listening to, this is the most sort of spoken word poetry, not quite slam poetry, I guess, but it, it feels like a lot of the poet, the spoken mm -hmm. word poetry you hear it, it. It has the same kind of rhythm. It has the same sort of wordplay and, um, and the, the same sort of like, you know, building emotion getting. And so on one hand, I think that, that, that that's intentional and that that's 
part of the tradition and people that like that will like this poem. And, uh, and I think to, to, to your point, Julia, like that's part, it's, um, it's, it's, it's always a Mm -hmm. political act, like to get up and to, it's like a rallying cry. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, and, and so the generic phrases that you're sort of pinpointing as like bad poetry are better in this context because they're elevated into this, like I'm standing in front of the crowd and I'm getting you on your feet and I'm making you. And that's like, it's, it's, it's in a political act. It's, and it's a, it's a powerful act. And, um, I respect that even if I'm not necessarily like watching it on a YouTube video, I'm not inspired by it. I don't think it's great poetry, but I can see how it works and I can see how it fits this tradition that, um, is probably very powerful and important to a lot of people and gets people into poetry or into the political statement or slogan that's being said and being talked about. Um, in this case, like you said, I don't think that, that there's much revelation in here. I don't think there's not anything that I'm yeah. like, well, that's a new thought. I mean, I, I, it seems less likely to get people into poetry than it is to get people into social action. Exactly. Yeah. And that's yeah. maybe good, right? Like, I mean, yeah. that's maybe the point of, like, maybe that was what Kate Tempest would would want more than anything is for people to get off their, you know, get on their feet and, um, you know, do either. But, it's uh, a, I don't know. It's, but here, here's the thing though. Here, here's yeah. the irony is that she's telling people, get off your phones, get off the, the world, love each other more, see the world, you know, be active, but she's doing it in a YouTube right. video. Well, <laughs> you know, well, right. so, so there's this, there's a circle that, that happens. And I mean, how we how we uh, ingest our media or our social action is always going to be part of how we you know the, whatever the the mode of information is is how we're going to get information. That's a right. profound. <laughs> the way we get our information is the way we get our information. I mean, but see, I see sorry, what you're saying, on, and I agree, and I think anyone who feels moved is. You know, definitely that's the idea of this is to like shake people awake or whatever. But the reason I say that like snarky little whatever at the end is like, and do what? What does that mean? You know what I mean? This is somewhere between literature and social activism, but it isn't really either. You know what I mean? It's like it's saying like, wake up, love each other. And there's what is that? What is that specifically? What is the directive? Right. Like, if I feel moved and you're directing me and I want to follow you as a leader, like an artistic leader, a spiritual leader, a political leader, you know, like I want an action item. A poetry know? leader? <laughs> right. right. No. And now see, that's, what? and that's, what's it, that's kind of where I was going because that's, that's exactly right. I think that's where it fails politically or f- fails as an actual rallying cry. Like, as opposed to like a speech by Obama, which you would call poetic, you know oh. what I mean? Like it has phrases, it has rhythm, it, you know, like there are great speakers who are actually political and become political leaders because they, they utilize rhythms like this and they utilize slogans mm-hmm. and catchphrases, but they bring them to a point or bring them to an action very effectively. So that's where this, I think, fails as a political rallying cry. And then I think it fails as poetry because of what you're saying. Like, it, I don't know if it actually means that much beyond... Well, this is the problem with spoken word in general is like it, it, often it becomes this sort of uh, free association mm-hmm. exercise. Mm-hmm. It's like, like freestyling. Like a freestyle yes, rap. It, and it's like sometimes it's a little studied, but mostly it's like words that that you can sort of slam together, like, mm-hmm. you know, 
you know, the police and their brutality, frugality, my legality. And it's like, ooh, oh, my ooh, God. Ooh. Suddenly it's like, well, <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like it's yeah. actually pretty easy to do. You just let your brain open up. It's into, like, easy to do poorly. An improv thing. It's, and it's like. It, mm-hmm. It's and easy ra- to do poorly. It is. It is. But I also feel like it's easy to find meaning in those poor word associations. Like, so it's because, uh, you know, and in this case, I'm assuming this is not improv. Like, oh, I'm yeah, assuming this that is this piece. is a piece that she's actually written and yeah, performing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and therefore, I'm going to hold it to a higher standard with those words associations. But but I, I find often these... Um, that, that the words are chosen for their sound quality first and foremost in these exercises. And then because they rhyme, they're slammed together. And then I'm supposed to sort of pull meaning and make meaning and find connections. And like, that's like, that's just one skill set that I don't think mm. is that fantastic. Well, I think that, that as a skill set is pretty, pretty easy. I, and um, so I don't, re- when I hear poems that rely on that too much, mm-hmm. I'm like, Okay, you do, you can do that thing, but that thing is not that special. It's just you know, if you don't read poetry that much or you don't listen to poetry that much, it might strike you as interesting, and you might you know that is like titillating to one side of your brain. But I just I want my poems to do more, um, and I think like the other two spoken words we listen to do a lot more than well. And I think the mm-hmm. the next one, um, it actually is more. It's about language. It's it is a mm-hmm. spoken word piece that is about the meaning of words or the misconstrued meaning of words. And the meaning yeah. of documents and, you know, an identity let's go to that one. in itself. So maybe uh, let's, yeah, go, let's to go to that one and, and take Let me a look give an introduction. It. This is um, Safia El Hilo. She's a Sudanese-American poet. Um, she received her BA from Gallatin School at New York University and got her MFA from the New School. And she's done a lot of slam poetry performances. And she, this is her poem mm. from a TED Talks X called Alien Suite. Fact, the Arabic word hawa means wind. The Arabic word hawa means love. Test, multiple choice. Abdel Halim said, you left me holding wind in my hands. Or Abdel Halim said, you left me holding love in my hands. Abdel Halim is left empty or Abdel Halim is left full. Fairuz said, oh wind, take me to my country or Fairuz said, oh love, take me to my country. Fairuz is looking for vehicle, or Fairuz is looking for fuel. Um Kalthum said, where the wind stops her ships, we stop ours. Or Um Kalthum said, where love stops her ships, we stop ours. Um Kalthum is stuck, or Um Kalthum is home. Did our mothers invent loneliness? Or did it make them our mothers? Were we fathered by silence or just looking to explain away this gaping quiet? Is it wasteful or wistful to pray for our brothers in a language they never learned? Whose daughters are we if we grow old before our mothers or for their sakes? They called our grandfathers the January children, lined up by the colonizer and assigned birth years by height. There is no answer because we come from men who do not know when they were born who married women shown to them in photographs, whose children left the country and tried for romance and had daughters full of all the wrong language. Khartoum in the 80s, my mother with ribbons in her hair, dress fanning about her nutmeg calves, my father, who I hear was so lively and handsome that only bad magic could have emptied that and filled him with smoke. The borrowed record player, 
the generation that would leave to make nostalgia of these very nights, to hyphenate their children and grow gnarled by diasporas every winter, but tonight, Motown crackling in the hot twilight, mosquitoes swaying in the velvet dusk, my parents dance without ever touching. Republic of the Sudan, Ministry of Interior, Passport and Immigration General Directorate, alien from Sudanese origin pass card. At the government office, a veiled woman made the card on Microsoft Paint, told me my Arabic was not bad for a foreigner, you can barely hear the accent. I board the plane with grandma's voice crackling through the phone. Today we queued for fuel and food. Come home again soon. With my blue passport making me American, place of birth, Maryland, USA. In the months since my last visit, I feel the American slur settle back to coat my R's. And in New York, I am ambiguous brown girl, Sudanese, but your English is so good, you can barely hear the accent. Mama still speaks to me in Arabic here, but we eat with fork and knife. We play some of the old songs, but mostly Motown, to remind mama of those swaying 80s nights in the garden before it turned to dust, before the old country crumbled and mama came here to give me the blue passport for freedom. And last time I was home, a soldier stopped the car, asked for ID, held the stiff navy blue marked Maryland, USA, asked where I was from, laughed when I said here, all right, so what did uh, what did we think of this, Julia? You want to go first? Yeah, sure. Um, I like this one. Ugh, I hate that I'm going to automatically compare the three, but I'm, I I'm doing it. Um, I like this one better. Um, yeah, to me, this one was pretty good. I there are things. I mean, let me just say this. This is God, guys. I've been so snarky lately. I promise. Our next episode is about something Pregnancy I really brain. like. Look, okay, stop! It's, it's pregnancy snark. No, oh. I am an intelligent, educated person. There's, that's going to get us some hate mail. That's, uh, that's a one-star review on iTunes right there. Anyway, uh, uh, I think the my little side-eye comment is like, the fact that it's a TEDx, a TEDx poem, I think really is... You know, that's my criticism. It's it's meant to it's meant to do what Kate Tempest is trying to do, which is like I have a message. Right. It's very packaged. It's very packageable. Um, but that being said, I like the package. Um, I there were certain lines that I just really loved, and they were very simple. So you know, all about the blue passport and what that means, and. Uh, yeah, there's a line Ma- towards the end. Mama came came here to give me the blue passport. That like immigration from Sudan could be that simple and beautiful of an act. I really loved. Um, and certain you know like more tactile details like listening to Motown yes. and things mm-hmm. like that were all just really wonderful. But that being said, like it still was burdened by some of these cliche things of like. The definition of blah is blah, you know, and I'm just like, no, (laughs) I want to hear something totally original Um, and that that this didn't get all the way there. But the scenes, what I like in a poem or really in any literature is scenes. I don't Mm -hmm. just want a message. I want a scene. I want to see or feel or hear or whatever. Um, Something, something real. I want to be able to observe something myself. And so she really did a great job with that. So that's what I thought of this this poem. Yeah, 
I think she gets there. I think, like, I'm with you. I yeah. Chop off the first 30 seconds of this whole poem. Like, I don't, uh, the whole, like, multiple choice, fact, beginning, definition, like, I don't, I hated all of that. And I was like, you're, I, I, whereas once it starts getting into, like, the January children and, you know, people being lined up over their birthday month and, mm-hmm. like, all these personal stories, then I was in love with the poem. So I, I really feel like, and maybe she did that intentionally to sort of kind of present it as if it's like a TED Talks, you know, like the um, the beginning with this multiple choice, like fact, that's, it does sound very like TED Talky. So I'm wondering if if that's why she chose to start the poem that way. But the, the rest of the poem, like, yeah, like you're saying, she weaves these small moments and like, you know, velvet evenings with her parents dancing mm-hmm. and like wonderful mm-hmm. lines and words that sound nice, but they also create cool imagery. And then there's this perfect interweaving of the personal and the political, mm-hmm. right? Like you feel like she's talking about her childhood and uh, her family, but then of course it expands outward into like an immigrant experience that is like, oh my God, when she talks about hyphenated names, oh, and she just has a way of like throwing in these things that like on one hand, like, they're a concept, but then on the other hand, it's still, you know, pulled into a a, a personal story or, or a narrative that I'm, I'm keeping up with. And so I, I think it's a great poem if, if you just lose the beginning. Um, but I, I, I don't know how much of that is intentional. Like she wanted it to sort of start. Well, actually, I think, I think if she if she didn't want it to start that way, she wouldn't have started it that way. Well, actually, <laughs> wait, wait. I just found something really interesting searching for the text. Um, the reason this is called Alien Suite is this uh-huh. is 14 of her different poems put together. Wow. That kind of makes sense. Okay. Huh. Interesting. So I um That's I, really interesting. Okay, go ahead, really Todd. I actually uh, love the opening because you know the I, I'm I'm really interested in the translation of uh, foreign words into English and their missed yeah. meanings. Um and you know we talked about this a little bit with the stranger. Remember uh, how there's the the one translation of it that changes the entire text from here on out. But I also like the use of the commonplace things like a passport and the meaning of the passport um, to represent larger issues. And I think her ability to draw emotion from, as you were saying uh, a moment ago, writer, tactile things is not so dissimilar in my mind from that wonderful part of the book Gabriel we read by Edward Hirsch, where it goes through um, the autopsy report of, mm-hmm. uh, of Gabriel, um, uh, the uh, Edward Hirsch's son, where you know it just looks at simple things and you draw more profound meaning from it. So I liked really all of it because all of it is personal. All of it is about identity and about translation and about being lost in translation also, about what it means to have a particular identity and to have that identity shift from time to time and place to place, and that you are different people um, in different places. And, yeah. you know, I, and, and this might just be part of a ongoing midlife crisis that I'm having <laughs> about, my <laughs> own, um, about my own identity. But I was talking about this with a friend recently that, you know, I, I've never felt more Jewish than I feel right now in my life um, and never felt more connected to my own heritage, though I don't particularly believe in the religion. Mm-hmm. I believe in the culture. And I believe in understanding that, say, if swastikas show up someplace, that that has a larger and more profound meaning than just someone, you know, being an asshole and painting something somewhere. 
um, that it's an affront to not just who I am, but who my grandparents were, my great grandparents, and all these things before the swastika had any meaning to Jews. Um, and so a a poem like this and a performance like this connects to me on just a really atavistic level, you know, I, I, about what it means to be a persecuted person um, for something beyond anything of your control of just being born into the skin that you have. And so I really, um, I really liked it. I, I really found it moving. And I think the, the stuff at the top, the translation stuff, um, the meanings of things um, and their shifting meanings was really powerful. I really liked it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that's so interesting, Todd, because I feel the same way at this current moment about being a woman and it's never something I felt disconnected with, but I mean, like, you just have to deal with it in a new way at this point. Right. Um, and so this poem didn't hit too hard on that. But as someone who's about to be a mother, I mean, like there's this line, did our mothers invent loneliness or mm -hmm. did it make them our mothers? And that I was just like, oh, God, you know, like this <laughs> sacrifices that this woman made for her daughter. And, uh, you know, there are certain times where these poets have the ability to connect with you on an individual level that is hard to imagine just coming right off the page or in some way where it feels more distant. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. for a, a young woman to just look you in the eye, even through a YouTube video and say these things does feel very... Very personal. Mm -hmm. Very personal. Yeah. yeah. And I like her presentation for that reason. Yeah. Too. It's, it, there's something, like if she were to be presenting the poem in a more like Kate Tempest way, right. it would, it would really take away from it. But instead it's like this calm, like sort of authentic from, you know, it's just coming from such a, um, a personal and, uh, a place of control. Like she's, you know, and, and the, and the framing of a Ted talks too, is really interesting for a poem. I, I didn't know they did poetry. Oh yeah. With these kinds of things. The, yeah. the poet that I uh, mentioned at the top, Rachel Kahn, she's done a bunch of Ted, uh, talks in LA spoken word poetry that are really quite powerful. Weird. That's yeah. it's a, yeah, it's an interesting context because it's, yeah, I, I never thought of the, that as a space for it, but she really fills it well. And, and, it's, yeah. Can I ask an important question? Uh, I was just looking at the video again. When did cuffed pants come back? She's she's cuffed her pants, and this is a question um, I've been asking a lot. A couple of years lately. ago. Like I was devoted to that. Wait, what do you mean? Like when you roll up yeah. the bottom of your yes? Yeah. Well, there's like a certain for for I don't know about women, but I know that the first for guys, there's always been like a certain rockabilly style that like of jeans especially in LA, like in East LA that never went away. Like you mm. still see it. I just like, there was a period of time in the 1980s when I was cuffing my pants and I was like, this is how I'm going to wear my pants every day for the rest of my life. Did you peg your pants? Oh, I pegged them. Yeah. So yeah. I folded over and then rolled. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah it was a that. whole thing. And I, she, it, I'm not disparaging her out there. She looks wonderful. Um, I, but I keep seeing it more and more often. I was like, man, is there going to come a time when I have to start pegging my pants again? <laughs> I feel the like... answer is yes. Start pegging them now. <laughs> I Bring it back, Todd. I just I feel like I got it from Ducky from uh, from Pretty in Pink. I don't know where I got it from. I don't want to be accused of being a superficial millennial for at least another three episodes after this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Let's keep going. 
Uh, actually, before we move on, I want to uh, give a shout out to our, our listener who recommended those last two poets to us. Her name was Jenny Colvin, um, and she, she put that on our, our Facebook page, both those poems. Um, and then um, our next poet was linked to us by Dij Simonoff. Um, and our next poet is Hanif Willis Abdurakib. And here he is. So I'm on this plane, but I don't really do heights, right? Like freshman year of college, I damn near flunked out first semester fucking with a top bunk in my dorm. I just laid there the whole time in this blanket fort I made. I wrapped it in my mother's prayer beads and my father's guilt. I called the thing childhood and it was really hard to go outside. But I'm, I'm still on this plane, right? So I'm like 30,000 feet in the air with overutilized sweat glands and underutilized window seat and this old woman next to me. She's seen too much, you know, you can feel it. She wears it like Kevlar now. She's got eyes like the last ditch effort of a mason jarred firefly. Her headphones are coiled around her neck hissing loudly and I can tell she's listening to this Nirvana song, right? But I can only make out every three words or so so it sounds like, like, hey, I've got a new priceless noose. This woman is sizing me up like a prize fighter, you know? She leans in real close and she's all, you nervous, honey? And in my head, I'm just like, no, I just like testing the durability of my nails some days, right? But before I can say anything, she takes her hand and puts it on my chest. And it's wrapped in riot hoses and poplar tree bark and the fresh, violent sun of southern summers. And she says, goddamn, boy, you got a firing squad in there tonight whole lot of guilty men at their disposal. Yeah, I'd known people with hearts like these in my life. But I'm not really listening to her, you know, because I'm still trying to make out the Nirvana song she's listening to, but I can still only hear like every three words. So now it sounds like, like, wait, I've got a new heart-shaped cancer. And this plane is rattling us like ice cubes kissing the desert floor of a whiskey glass. This woman doesn't even move. She just leans in closer and says, you know, you're, you're too young to fear the rumble of metal and engine. This is what your generation used to carve the beast that will swallow us whole. You're a generation of metal and engine. Do you now fear the silver lining your own pockets? Do you shake at the avalanche of adulthood? Do you tremble at the idea of being swallowed alive in this monster? And I say, no, no, I fear the sky. And so this old woman says, says, what has the sky ever done to you that a lover has not? Have you not been recklessly carried? Have you not given up control to trust something with wings? Have you not found your heart held in the jaws of something stainless, high above a chorus of treetops and city lights and brilliant molecules of water? And then she says, what is the sky? And I say, okay, the sky is a big blue top bunk. And she says, I didn't hear it. Child, what is the sky if not a lover arched around your body like St. Louis underneath a drum roll of fireworks? What is the sky if not a lover's arms? And I say, okay, so maybe I don't fear the sky. Maybe I fear the alone my body will feel when the sky decides to let me go. And she takes her hand off my chest, holds it up against the window, pushes it real deep, and she says, look at this. Look at this child. From up here, 
Everything pure and white is magnificent and unbreakable and holy. From up here, we all have such amazing bones. So uh, Hanif Willis Abdurraqib is a poet, essayist, and cultural critic. He's from uh, Columbus, Ohio. Uh, his poetry has been published in a bunch of different places and essays in the New York Times and Pitchfork and New Yorker. And then I guess he's a columnist for MTV News, too. Oh. Um, is that a still thing? I don't know. That was on his well, bio on his, his website. When was the last time either of you watched MTV? Just out of curiosity. I don't have a TV. Never. Never in your life did you watch MTV, Ryder? No, I mean, <laughs> no, I mean, I, well, I didn't have Come cable. On, you know, I didn't have cable as a kid, so oh, like, right. MTV was this crazy thing. And I remember going to somebody's house that had MTV, and I watched Like a Prayer, and and Fine Young Cannibals. Remember the she drives, she drives me crazy. crazy. And those two videos are like seared in my brain because I remember just standing there. I was probably eight, right? It was like 1988. And I remember just sitting there being like, what is happening? Like, because, you know, and they're just, they're music videos. But at the time, I'd never seen anything like a music video. And they just blew my mind. And they're so seared in my memory. But yeah, I completely missed the whole MTV thing. I watched I never... a lot of Singled Out. Oh, oh my God. Yeah, single. I, I had I, know, I had a lot of friends that were on single. Oh, wasn't of course that, you did. Wasn't the host of that uh, Chris? What's his name? Yeah, or Hardwick. Yeah, and Je- With, Jenny, uh, Jenny McCarthy. McCarthy. That's so interesting. Yeah, someone I, I was listening to something where they were talking about Chris Hardwick being a host of Singled Out. I was like, what? That's crazy. I, I knew like twenty people that were on Singled Singled Out and Studs. <laughs> like if you if you were young and living in Southern California, you were on Singled Out or Studs at some point. Okay. Oh, uh, All right. Anyway. <laughs> Anyway. Dig those sunsets, pony. Uh, um, uh, I got to tell you, this the best. poem is it's the best, unbelievably good. It's the best. <laughs> like the performance when you guys watch it, it's really hard to hear. Um, but look, turn up this volume; it's amazing. And then go find the text because it is a masterclass in poetry. Absolutely mm-hmm. loved it. Yep. Um, so I went. I went out immediately. Bought his collection, uh, which is called "The Crown Ain't Worth Much," and I'm I'm reading it right now. He's he's amazing. I'm, this is like my new favorite. So poem. when you start watching this, it, I mean, it doesn't sound like a poem at all. It sounds like storytelling. Um, mm-hmm. yep. And I, when I say storytelling, I mean with a capital S, in like the way that every town has a storytelling series now, like The Moth or whatever. So you're thinking like, is this written? Is this, is he getting into it? You know, what is the deal here? And it just becomes poetry. I mean, this is essentially the way that you want poets to be, or I'll, I won't speak for everyone. This is the way that I want poets to be. They're just people who have stories and experiences and they turn them into these like mythic, um, poems um Mm -hmm. like there's a lot of doubt here that's fun of like did this really happen did she really say this did you really say this and playing it feels like playing with that rather than like aggrandizing it or tricking the the listener Mm -hmm. or the reader it's it's really cool so he's basically just telling the story of like hanging out with this woman on a plane and he's really afraid and they have this really strange and interesting conversation philosophical existential conversation yeah it's amazing it, can I um, can I read my favorite part? Sure. Of yeah. this, um, it's actually towards the end. Um, 
he says, uh, and I say, no, no, I fear the sky. And so this old woman says, what has the sky ever done to you that a lover has not? Have you not been recklessly carried? Have you not given up control to trust something with wings? Have you not found your heart held in the jaws of something stainless, high above the chorus of treetops and city lights and brilliant molecules of water? Fuck yeah, take me to church! Yeah. <laughs> I know. Fuck yeah! I know. Fuck yeah! Like, hearing him say it and then reading it, I just gave me chills. Yeah. Fuck and, yeah! And even little, yes, I mean, whole phrases, whole sections, totally, I totally agree. But also, like, little phrases I just started writing down um, that aren't, they're the opposite of my complaints about the other one. They're, they're not cliche. Um, shoot, what was it? Um... The Firefly, where is it? She, oh, she's got eyes like the last ditch effort of a mason jarred firefly. Oh, yes. How great is that? <laughs> it's it's rhythmic. It, it has internal rhyme that isn't obvious. It's like got this universal yet extremely specific experience and, and it's emotional. Like what more could you want in like 11 mm. words? Or how? Loved it. God, so good. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he, I think um, he does this thing. I mean, like what you were talking about, Julia. Um, I, I, you know, you say the storytelling, and I would actually almost say he, he, it's 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 like a, a stand-up comic rhythm too. Um, you know, it's like it starts off with this sort of like. So the other day I was yeah, doing yeah, this yeah. thing, you know, right? and it's like this. Yeah. And right, yeah, and it's like you're almost waiting for. A, a joke or something, and then what ends up being the point are these lines that are devastating. Mm-hmm. These like individual images that also sound great as words put together. So it's like, what what is the you know the last ditch effort of a mason jar mm-hmm. firefly rattling like ice cubes kissing the desert floor of a whiskey glass? It's like you just and and they come at you and you're suddenly like, oh 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 right, this is a poem, and right. it's just such an effective. Like, to me, it's exactly the opposite of what we were talking about with the Kate Tempest, which is, you know, Kate Tempest is sort of relying on a pre-existing spoken word rhythm, and that almost denies authenticity, whereas this is like, because it's so casual and feels so natural, he's able, and it feels like just a person telling a joke or a person that, when they become poetic lines, they're so much more powerful and they're so much more authentic. And even though they're, of course, the whole thing is perfectly crafted mm-hmm. and written. He man, his performance manages to surprise you and endlessly excite you because you're finding them with him. Um, I, I, I think this is like the future of spoken word poetry. If more people can sort of work in this vein, which, you know, and, and, and everything's, you know, it's, everything's always changing, right? Like I, I'm sure when spoken word rhythms like Kate Tempest were like really original in the eighties or nineties or whenever that sort of like, it probably was shocking, but now I feel like it's been, it's predictable. Whereas something like this, where you're taking, like you're saying this, like storytelling stand-up comic rhythm and you're turning that on its head and making that into poetry it's like it takes your breath away mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and then of course he also like todd you even said like take me to church mm-hmm. he does also build to another yeah. familiar rhythm of this sort of like pastor gospel tradition. Yeah. pastor tradition right yeah. so he manages to like weave different 
you know, forms of speaking and energies of, of um, presentation perfectly mm-hmm. and effortlessly and make it all sound like he's coming up with it on the spot. Uh, I, I well, am so in love with this guy. There's a lot I gotta of, tell you guys this. Oh, go ahead, Julie. Uh, yeah, just to jump on that, there's a lot of control. So one thing that's mm-hmm. that's really special about this poem that the other ones don't have is he has total control over the voices. So mm-hmm. the yeah. voice of this woman um, is very specific, and that's the, you know, like, extremely poetic, you know, sermon-esque, you know, end of it. But it's so wonderful because he's going into that, and you're like, okay, he's, like, carrying us there. That's fine. But then he allows himself, you know, the humility of being much less eloquent than her. She says, mm-hmm. what is <laughs> right. this guy? And he said, okay, this guy's a big blue top bunk, which is mm-hmm. both still very interesting and poetic, but also like, he's not saying like, okay, well I think it's these 500 images, you know, he gives that all to this other character or person or voice. And that's really cool that he's, it's very unusual to me to feel a spoken word poet have that kind of humility. Like it takes so much confidence and like bravery and whatever you want to call it to to do spoken word that it's very rare to hear anything of like, I feel doubt, I feel fear, I feel, mm-hmm. you know, kind of mm-hmm. clunky within this poem. So I, right. I thought that was really cool. Todd, what's your I, story? I got to tell you, it's a very fast story, but it, reading this poem and listening to it today um, reminded me of this thing that happened to me just a couple days ago. Uh, and it's about sort of finding poetry in strange places and being open to weird experiences. So I was in Portland and um, I'd rented a car and I had to return the car and then get to the airport. And so I took the car back to the the Enterprise rent-a-car and I was going to Uber from Enterprise to the airport. And there was this woman in the um, Enterprise and she was 76 years old and her name was Helen. And she said, don't Uber, I'll drive you. And I said, no, 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 no. You know, it's fine. I'm happy to to drive. I'm happy to get an Uber. You don't need to. You don't need to drive me to the airport. And she said, "I'm going that way anyway." And it just it became this thing over the course of a couple minutes where it became clear to me that this woman was going to drive me to the airport, <laughs> whether I liked it or not. And I, I said to her at one point, "Look, you know, you can't just offer people rides. You know, I could I could be a serial killer." <laughs> and she said, "I've looked into your heart, and I know that you that you're good." And I said to her, well, I want you to Google my name so that you know that I am. <laughs> and the guy at the Enterprise desk said, hey, you know, we're this, this is, I was in a small town. I was in Oregon City. I was staying with our friend Nicole, um, Nicole Rosevere. And he's like, I know her. I see her around town all the time. You know, you don't need, need to be worried about her. And I was like, well, this is going to be, this is a strange experience. And so finally, it just became clear that she was driving me to the airport. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to give myself up to this weird experience. And so we got in the car, and I ended up driving the car because she didn't know how to operate the push-button stuff, and it was actually the car I had just turned in. <laughs> and so I was like, you can watch me drive for a second. And so we were driving to the airport, and we were talking, and she said to me, um, you know, you wouldn't believe it from looking at me now, but I, I used to be something to look at. But grief makes you ugly. Mm. And then she began to tell me her story which was remarkable and sad and awful and strange and worrisome. And she'd been a widow for 40 years. And I'm not going to tell you guys her story because that was 
a thing between us, obviously. But um, she also said one other thing, because um, I had asked her, you know, what's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen in this life that you've lived? And she said, if I have one regret for my life, it's that I haven't seen more beauty. Mm. And I just was like, man, there's so much inside people. There's so many stories inside people. Um, and then you see a poem like this and you think, this, there's no way this conversation could happen. And I'm here to tell you, a it conversation could. like this can happen. Yep. <laughs> you know, these things exist. And we need writers and poets out there to write them down yeah. and perform them and tell us about them. Yeah. Yeah. And and just to say also, you know, for the people out there listening, to every now and then open yourself up to a weird experience and you might be fine by, uh, you might be surprised by the, the strange beauty that you encounter.